I guess uh, you can say I'm a slim gym bro <laughs> because I got a lanky meat stick that's ready to be exercised and curled and you know you can see the veins pop out at any point all right I'm a fool but you know what therapy is for bitches and that's your little uh, foreshadowing Welcome to episode 199 of the Often Be Podcast with Clint Nelson. I'm your host, Clint Nelson. Don't forget to like, follow, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. But most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to suck some titties. Oh, Jesus. Recording this on June 6, 8.07 a.m., a little bit later than usual. And no excuse, honestly. Well, I do have one excuse, but I'll keep it from the audience for performance reasons. Um, but yeah, um, therapy. Therapy is one of those things that us men and us really as a general population, we get criticized for. It is this go-to that if you have any problems in life, just go to therapy, right? And... um. I think therapy is one of the most overrated, promoted, trendy things we have going on in the world right now. I would never, um, I would never, like, try to convince someone not to go to therapy. And that's the misconception. Is that I'm not saying therapy is complete nonsense. I'm not saying it's complete bullshit. I'm just saying that I think going to therapy for a lengthy amount of time is more detrimental than it is, uh... You know, I guess productive. Uh, therapy should be one of those things that should be a temporary thing. Because I'm a believer that all to most issues have to be solved internally. And that talking to a random stranger that you're paying who is incentivized to continuously tell you that you consistently have a problem over time and they are incentively incentivize to tell you why you should keep coming back to them is not maybe the most productive way to go about your issues. Um, And that's the issue. Therapy is a very profitable business. I haven't looked up the numbers, but when I listen to podcasts, a lot of sponsors are betterhelp.com and they are very therapy driven. It's easy to say that therapy will fix your problems, but in my opinion, I think therapy will actually cost you to continuously believe that you have nothing but problems. And maybe problems exist in your life, but to make it the focus of your life, I think therapy within itself kind of drives that within you. That, oh, if you have a problem, you need to go to therapy. As a, I'll admit, as a younger adolescent individual in my young teens, I used to go to behavioral therapy for certain issues, right? And I realized at a certain point, like, you know, I know health insurance is paying for this, but, you know, my mother, she spends a lot of extra stressful time to take me out of school the first two hours a day, every Thursday, to go to see this doctor, Indian woman, um, that sits there and tells me about why my anger problems are a fucking issue. And I get it. 
And I'm not someone to open up too much. Well, at least open up, you know, uh, out of the mouth. <laughs> oh, I'm a mouthful, all right. But what you realize, and I realize this at a very teenage, age, adolescent type of thing, that I didn't understand how the health system worked, how insurance worked, and that, you know what, a lot of my problems are very internal. And as someone sitting there listening to me and my correspondent vent about my issues, is not really solving the problem. And that maybe the problem is the fact that I need to actually identify, work on the problem, and continuously fix the problem, right? And I think therapy is this kind of basic ass excuse to just pretend that you're working on something because it's the bare minimum that you could do to actually just say like, hey, I'm seeing a therapist. And I guess that's a good start. But if you're seeing a therapist for 12 years, um, your issues are not going to be fixed by a therapist that you have spent $18,000 on in that time span. Just a thought. Um, it's just this crazy thing that we have to pay. Like this is society we live in. We have to pay someone to be incentivized to want to listen to us. That's the world we live in. And I'm not someone to put your problems on people in your life or random individuals. By the way, this is going to be our long podcast. Because you know what? We're changing the game here. Um, but I just kind of feel like that therapy is kind of for... Pussy ass bitches. Um, I'll say it. Um, not that I feel like people that seek guidance and better improvement to fix their issues in their life are bad people. But I think at a certain point, you got to realize that your problems are your problems and not anyone else's. So I kind of leave it at that. I think therapy. Um, there's actually the song by All Time Low. This punk rock band that I used to listen to in the mid-2000s, early 2000s. He has a song called Therapy. Because he actually lost his brother to suicide. And I feel like a lot of people go to therapy for things that are a lot less than their brothers committing suicide. It's like, oh man, I'm feeling great anxiety for my job. It's like, okay. Um, have you thought about becoming better at your job? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa hey, hey, that's not what we're talking about here. It's like, oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to therapy because I feel like uh, I don't really feel like I'm my true self. It's like, okay, have you actually put the time into yourself and really identified yourself with what you really want to do with your life? You're like, hey, hey, don't be asking so many questions. I'm not ready to answer. It's like, all right, well, then don't be trying to go to drastic measures to solve problems that you're not even sure what the fucking problem is. And I'm not a therapist, but... I feel like therapy and people's issues are so subjective that if I was a therapist, I can convince someone that they continuously have so many problems over a period of time that they can continuously feel like that they have problems that maybe aren't really problems anymore. Um, but yeah. Oh, Jesus. I don't want to sound like I'm being the dickhead, but you know what? I'm kind of on one. Um, I'm on one. But yeah. Um, speaking of 
kind of problems and maybe some I should eventually go to therapy when I'm 34 years old is I saw something that kind of triggered all this and I was watching a video talking about men and type of self-improvement type of stuff and I don't really dive into that type of thing but there was a comment that there'll be you'll probably see is that men would rather start podcasts than go to therapy. And as a man that does a podcast. By the way, episode two fucking hundred. I don't know if you know, that's a fucking milestone. But when you're on episode 200, you have such a relinquish type of confidence about yourself that you say, fuck you. Yeah, I didn't start a podcast because I need therapy. I started a podcast because I fucking wanted to start a podcast. Did I have issues when I started a podcast? Yeah. Do I have some of the same issues now? Yeah. But that's not why I started a fucking podcast. So when you see tweets or quotes or comments that say, oh, men start podcasts instead of going to therapy. Like, you really think going to fucking therapy is really going to solve everyone's fucking problems? Because, like I said before, therapy is literally designed to incentivize, to continue to tell you That you have problems that you are not in control of. And to quote unquote give it up and let God or Jesus be in charge. And that's my real gripe with Jesus. Um, I didn't even want to talk about religion. But hey, we transitioned. Even though he doesn't believe in transitioning in certain things. Um, (laughs) But my, my interesting take on a lot of this stuff is that it's very interesting that people want to talk about how men always go to these paths that aren't traditional one because if we go to traditional therapy let's just break down traditional therapy therapy in the most traditional sense is venting about your problems bitching and complaining about things and then You may design a plan to fix it, but probably not. It is just an excuse to complain. You will literally, because we live in such a world that we can't even voluntarily talk about things without feeling like there's got to be a give back of why or how we talk about things. We literally got to pay someone. Think about the world we live in, that we literally got to pay someone. To hear about our problems. When back in the day, you could talk to your family. You could talk to people close to you in your life. And just talk for a few hours every couple weeks about what you're feeling. And there would be this open understanding of this is just what we do as people. But nowadays, it's everything's got to be monetized. Everything's got to be profitable. And not everything is the most genuine of form. And yet people wonder why... Why don't you talk about all your trauma? Why don't you talk about all the things the way you are? Why don't you talk about all your faults of who the fuck you are as a person? And you're just like, why the fuck would I? Why the fuck would I involve my health insurance to bump up my rates just to tell you how I feel the stress of the world is breaking me down? Um, (laughs) Oh... 
Because you know what? No one gives a single fuck. And why the fuck would I pay 300 bucks a month for someone to pretend to give a fuck? Honestly. I don't care how much you're making. I don't care if I was making $20,000 a month. I would not, I could not justify my budgeting. Paying someone 300 bucks to pretend whose job is to be incentivized to give a fuck about why I feel the stress of the world is weighing me down, baby. I'm not an Iron Man, regardless of how I look. Um, But yeah, I think therapy is honestly a poor man's or poor woman's excuse to not actually work on their problems independently. Because, look, not to get too woe-pseudo-intellectual, But if you can't identify your problems as an individual, then how the fuck is anyone else going to really give you advice of the right direction to give you direction of the fix your problems? And some problems are never going to really be fixed. It's all about managing. Um, So when I hear this men start podcasts instead of going to therapy, maybe I'm a... I don't know. Maybe I'm a... uh, proponent of that statement maybe i'm a problem of that statement and i would reply that simply let's say starting a podcast was a better therapeutic method than actually going to therapy i know crazy maybe actually talking about things i enjoy maybe actually feeling like my voice is heard Maybe I actually feel like I can actually provide a very specific personality that the world actually gives a fuck about instead of talking about my most vulnerable, deepest feelings actually brings more value and makes me feel better about myself than just telling someone about why the fuck I was raped when I was eight. Not literally. I was never actually raped. I was just giving an extreme example. Um, But... (laughs) I don't think I was right. I don't know. That'll probably be blocked in the algorithm. But the point of the matter is, is that I think therapy has become this trendy thing that I think people want to latch on to, but not actually understand why am I going to voluntarily go into something that is so vulnerable but has very little rewards to What about therapy is rewarding for a grown adult, especially of the male specimen? Oh, great. I get to spend my hard-earned money on someone to tell me about why my problems are not really why the problems are really the problems. Oh, great. Like, all my conviction and everything I've learned of life is just bullshit, But because you understand human behavior in a very specific manner that's not very specific to human situations. Says, hey, you're not actually feeling the way you do because of what you're feeling the way you do. Okay, I'll go fuck myself, right? Alright, I've gone way too long on that. That's like 15 minutes plus. Um... So, I guess it's like, why is therapy the most presumptive? I actually kind of wrote some of this stuff down in notes because I actually want to have something to talk about. Uh, Why is therapy the presumptive solution to our problems, right? Why do we think that talking about shit is actually the best 
avenue to actually go about it. For example, if I were to ask you, hey, um, why did you and your girlfriend break up? Do you think telling me, even if you know the 100% truthful answer, do you think telling me the fact that, oh, your girlfriend just actually wanted a sexually more advanced, that a more uh, physically appealing man, someone with more masculine traits, do you really think telling me that it's going to make you feel better. Like, hey, you know what? I just realized the truth. I just wasn't man enough. Like Tony Braxton. He wasn't man enough for me. Even though she sounds more like a man than the man she's complaining that was not man enough for her. Can't make the shit up. Um, he wasn't man enough for me. Or was it Tamar? I don't know. They're all the same. The Braxton family values. Um, <laughs> I'm such a fool. But yeah, therapy, um, shit, what was the, hold on, sorry, I actually wrote this shit down, I want to make sure I stay on topic for you fellas and ladies, why is therapy the presumptive solution, okay, um, therapy has become this backdrop that if we feel that we say the word therapy, it sounds quote unquote literally therapeutic, when you go get a massage, After a long week at the job. It feels therapeutic, right? You feel like, man, like, I'm getting the kinks out. I'm getting the knots out. Like my hair. Ready or not, here I come. Curl my dick in your baby is young. Um, (laughs) oh, Kim (laughs) Jong-un. Don't worry, we're so under the baby limit, baby. Damn, I'm getting kind of serious on this episode 200 episode. But I think therapy is one of those things. I'm tired of seeing these sponsors. I'm tired of seeing promotion for things. For people that have never actually participated in real therapy. Because as a young adolescent, as I mentioned before. I actually participated in psychiatric or type uh, type of psychiatric therapy in some sense when I was younger. So when you actually see it from a young age and you actually grow older, you see like, man, like as a young child, since I don't know better, they're going to make me deem like everything I do is the problem. And I'm not acknowledging that I did not play a big factor of my issues and I acknowledge my issues, but As you get older and you live a life and you understand how the world works and you understand what personality traits are actually necessary to succeed and the parts of yourself that are actually very beneficial even though they were deemed to be very harmful as a young age. Like being very crass, being very, uh, being very, uh, very one-sided in how you think. Having strong conviction can also mean arrogance. Having anger issues, even though anger leads to aggression, which aggression typically leads to a very direction of life that is very necessary to succeed if you want to do certain things. That consider nothing to direct you, but you directing yourself. Sometimes a heavy aggression and conviction that is sometimes blind at times is very necessary. So there are very character traits 
that maybe when you were younger, these psychiatrists, that the one identifies themselves just because they took some a couple courses at a nice university in the middle of a southern state. Um, and, you know, they're Indian. Um, <laughs> oh, Dr. Indiges, shout out. I'm not saying they didn't know what they were fucking talking about. But I was saying the rent for their uh, psychiatric uh, department was a lot less than what the fuck I pay for for where I live. And there's caterpillars all over the place. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. So, I just think therapy is a poor person's... Not literally a poor person's, but I think it's a lazy excuse to pretend you're working on your problems. I think that should honestly just be the title. Therapy is a poor excuse to say that you're working on your problems. But anyways, speaking of uh, someone that needs therapy. So I'm a big consumer of comedy podcasting, right? And I think comedy in general is a very interesting thing to consume right because obviously there's a humorous aspect but when when you have comedy podcasts you start getting to know people's personality and you start hearing all the stories they talk about and the normal and one thing i picked up consuming comedy podcasts and comedians is there is this normalization of alcohol and drinking so Let's say someone like me who's pursuing the podcasting uh, avenue, right? And I guess you could say more along the comedy, society, culture, whatever. I've thought about doing stand-up a little bit. I think, you know, I think I'd be good if I really put in the time and work the design certain jokes to be very specific. But, neither here nor there. But, um... I think there's this weird normalization of alcohol, specifically alcohol, because obviously drugs are present everywhere, but alcohol is this very normally accepted thing when we're listening to comedians. So there's this comedian named Burt Kreischer, right? He obviously had a recent movie called The Machine come out. And honestly, I've never actually really listened to this big machine story that's now turned into a movie. I know that's like his biggest thing that he's known for, but I've never really listened to it from beginning to end. I just know that's what he's known for. But I listen to his podcast and I find him, you know, at the very least entertaining, sometimes annoying, blah, blah, blah. But whatever. But there's this normalization of alcohol, of alcoholism and comedy. Like, it's pretty well known he's a alcoholic with kids and a wife of 19 years. And what other type of professional world where we'd be like, hey, there's a guy that drinks every night, gets blasted, and has this whole aura about him that is just about being kind of like alcoholic. And look, I'm someone I consume once in a while. Um, And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know... I've started to think that maybe alcohol kind of brings the best out of people. And hear me out. I don't literally mean that alcohol 
brings the best version out of you. But I actually wrote this out in my notes. Um, I think alcohol. Actually, hold on. I didn't even look up the right notes. Um. Oh, here's the title I put. Maybe drinking unlocks your full potential. Drinking unlocks your potential. Alright, hear me out. I don't mean that drinking literally makes you a better person at your profession. Even if that is at the comedian profession. Where that type of aura and that type of environment is typically accepted. And it's typically like, oh, okay. I can see how someone being a little sauced up can bring some jokes out of them that they would maybe not think of, right? Or at least they would not have the courage to say. But I think drinking in a controlled manner as a man, and I want to specifically say as a man, because I can only understand how a man thinks. I don't try to understand how women think and all that stuff. But I think as a man... I do think that drinking in a controlled manner, I must specify, really brings a creativity that is sometimes necessary if you're going to be in this profession. I know, that sounds like an alcoholic talking. But let me tell you, um, I think to thrive in certain professions or to thrive in entertainment or to thrive in things that are unorthodox or to thrive in things that are unideal, you got to do things that access part of your mind that only inebriation will cause. If you were going to pursue comedy, if you were going to pursue podcasting, to sit there and think that just being your sober self where you're thinking clearly, you're in your head too much, you're not really thinking freely, is really going to bring these wild, out-of-this-world results. I honestly don't know. And I honestly think that maybe the less you think, the better the results. And I think drinking unlocks and makes you really unlock your potential. And that is contradictory. Contrary to anything you've probably ever heard in your life. But if you have time to listen to this podcast. It's probably actually not fully crazy. Because as this podcast is growing audio wise. 15,000 views by the way all time. Well 15,000 listens I should say. But the video is growing too. A couple, couple extra subscribers now. And um, as episode 200. By, I keep forgetting it's episode 200. But boy, like, it is very interesting. Like, as you get older, the things that are created as stigmas in your life are somehow kind of made sense for why the things you listen to and consume is considered normalcy. Like, grown 35 to 40 year old adults are saying like, hey, alcohol, like, look, it can become a problem. But let me tell you, when you're on it, that shit brings you to a level that if you maximize when you're on it, can really fucking make you be something. Your true self. 
maybe alcohol actually makes you more of your true self. People, you know, people make an argument that actually alcohol and drugs and stuff, it actually makes you a weaker version of yourself. Maybe it actually makes you the stronger version of yourself. It brings you the strength to actually be vulnerable. It will actually bring you the strength to text someone that, man, like, I actually think you're really fucking beautiful. Maybe it's weak because in regular everyday life, without the alcohol, you wouldn't be able to tell. But it, but maybe it's a strength because with it, it acts as a part of you that says, fuck it. I'd rather you live with the result than not, right? Um, but yeah. Alcohol drinking unlocks your potential. And that is not an advice you should ever give the young men. So this is why I should never lead a self-improvement channel. But, <laughs> um, and it also sounds like I'm making an excuse to justify drinking and stuff like that. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that if you truly um, are truly comfortable in who you are, Drinking doesn't have to be this taboo thing. Doing drugs, doing substances doesn't have to be this taboo thing that you have to hide around people. I think the issue is more when people feel like they got to hide it. Like either own it and be like, hey, this is what I do and I know what I'm doing it and I have a purpose for what I'm doing it. This is episode fucking two of the Often Beat podcast. I'll just admit, I'm a little sauced up. Not too sauced up, but I'm a little saucy. I'm like Sauce Gardner, corner from the Jets. Because uh, I'll be picking off your INTs. You can bet, a, And I'll pet you on the head. And I don't even got a pet. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> But the way you be, the way I be speaking on the podcast, you would think I have Tourette's. All right. Um, but yeah, no, seriously. Um... And you hear all these, a lot of these self-improvements when they get in the 30s and 40s, right? And maybe I'll be like that. They will tell you that they got, like, they just stopped drinking alcohol because they worry about the after effects of, like, man, it just wasn't worth it. And I get it, right? And I think there's pros and cons of both. Like anything in life, there's pros and cons of both. It's easy to say that, hey... Yeah, it's easy to look back. And it's weird to watch yourself when you're inebriated, right? Like, to see... Because you know when you're different. You know when you're speaking about things from a purest form that you may not or may have been comfortable sharing to the public or to whatever you may have posted on. But it was honest, that's why I'm not a believer that alcohol makes people say things they don't want to say. It just means that they said something that they didn't want to cause a problem. And you know what? There's a skill in that. You know what? And sometimes that's enough to be like, hey, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't do this. Um, but yeah, I'm like 30 minutes in. I should probably change the subject. But yeah, I guess the moral of that is, um, so yeah, I do think that drinking sometimes for maybe intro, maybe it's an introverted thing, but I think even for extroverts, I think drinking 
in a controlled manner, and I need to stress that because I'm not condoning drinking alcohol to an excessive level. Enjoy yourself, and then whenever you want to stop, be able to stop. That's the main thing I want to stress. If you can't control what you're doing, you don't need to be doing it. It's tough enough being a guy in this world. And uh, I am not a man advice type of dude. But as a man, I am more than comfortable giving advice. As weird as that sounds. Because you know what? I, have life, I, I think I have a good combination of ambitious and life experience. You know what? This is episode 200. I don't know if I mentioned that. Don't forget to like, follow, comment, subscribe. But don't forget to suck some titties. I don't know if I said suck some titties earlier, but. In case you forgot, do it anyways. I do think it's very important to kind of just enjoy who you are. This is more of like a reminiscent podcast. Like, as, like think about it, like Think about like anniversary episodes. Like now that I think about it, like, right? I remember when I did episode 100. I remember exactly what I told that. It was a... I went from episode 1 to 100 real quick. I did a Drake line, right? We went from 0 to 100 real quick. Because at that time, I was I was posting episodes like fucking crazy, man. Like five times a week. I think I got to 100 episodes in less than like 8 or 9 months. Now, it took me like another year and a half to get another 100, to get another 100 episodes. That shows you how much my mindset and life has changed, right? So I think every time you hit these milestones, it's good to assess like, man, like what it took to get here and how different you are. I went completely sober from for years when I started this podcast. I, I didn't drink after a certain amount of episodes because I cleaned up my life. But now that when you get your life in control, and you can incorporate some fun and actually feel like you're actually like a normal person, a normal balanced person. And not feel like you got to go to these extremes to just be sober. Like think about like someone who's just like, I have to be sober to be a completely like one sided, monolistic, productive person. Is that really someone that you can really trust that has to have everything be an exact way to work? Or do you need someone to be like, hey, I know I made some weird decisions the past couple days, but I'm still going to get shit that I need done. Who do you trust more? The person that has to have everything aligned perfectly for them? Or the person be like, hey, yeah, this happened, but you know what? I still got what I need done. And I actually think... That a person that could balance some normalcy in their life is someone I trust more than someone who has to live a very specific individualistic life to actually be worth the shit. Because it's not realistic. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Images. Um, I'm like 36 minutes in. So I think I'm going to change the subject. I've gotten a little too sentimental here. But yeah, I'm like a yellow glove. Because when you tuck on my wiener, I'm like Anthony Wiener. Because the Florida governor's position is always available. Um, (laughs) Oh, don't give me those crocodile tears. 
Um, actually, I saw a video earlier where someone had a pet alligator for pet support. Or what is it called? Emotional support? Um, and his type of rationale was like, hey, I put my... And they showed. He put his hand in this alligator's mouth. And it didn't bite it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes you put your dick in your girlfriend's mouth and she doesn't suck it. That's kind of my rationale for it. It's like, but you know, once in a while, she might be in the mood. Damn, that sounds like I'm actually talking about some extreme like rape fantasy. Oh my God, Clint. But hey, she's like an alligator. She'd be chomping at the bit. Oh, damn. Not literally, because obviously I would never stick something inside of something that was not informed ahead of time because I am not a Gen Z Republican lib. I know that was a huge contradiction, but that's kind of the point. Um, People like pointing out those libs, those conservative, conservative libs. It's all the same. It's like this podcast. I just add lib. Next thing you know, her bones are like, damn, baby, let me get an ad bib because I'll be throwing up on your chest and you my baby, girl. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm a, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, geez. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on in this life. Um, I thought about recently, because this is episode 200, I don't know if I mentioned that, I, that's kind of, I feel like there's going to be like the tagline in the archive, if anyone were there, ever like, please someone, please like clip this podcast so I don't have to do the work, please just clip it and do the work for me, um, but yeah, I've thought about like, damn, like, would I... Every time I hit like the 100 episodes or 200 episodes, I'd start thinking about like, damn, like, you know, I've really done this shit. I can't say a lot of my life that I followed through on shit, to be honest. But as I've gotten older, I've become a lot more disciplined. I've become a lot more comfortable in what I want to be and who I am. So it's like a tick in the right direction. And I'm going to say here, because you know what? I'm feeling good about myself. By episode 300, I want to have a thousand. No, you know what? Fuck it. I want 2,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel. That's what I want. By episode 300, I want 2,000 fucking subscribers. So that means I'm 1,953 subscribers away from hitting my goal. Um... But I feel like I'll have a catalog to back up what the boys have been speaking. I honestly feel like, and I mean this genuinely, and I don't mean this to high off my high horse, whatever the fuck that means, or the tilly off the willy wagon. But I honestly feel like I'm the most underrated podcast in the world because of my production value. Because... I don't hit the algorithm with the way I title things, which I'm working on. But most importantly, because I don't think there's a more passionate podcaster on the planet. 
Like in terms of people that aren't getting paid for it yet. I honestly don't think that. And that's not me having an extreme ego. But I try to listen to some low-key underground podcasts on my level. And I listen to what the fuck they talk about. And how they feel about things. And they are either quote-unquote afraid to go there. And what they really fucking think. They say generic things. Or they try to bush around the idea by being over-the-top facetious and funny. And try to be like cool and swaggy with it. And... People that don't do it frequent enough to justify of why the fuck people should take them serious. And I am someone that I give so much of a fuck about this, what I do. That when I hear people do that shit, it really actually fucking bothers me, right? So when I say I want to be the best podcaster in America... In the world, quote unquote, is because I truly believe I have the skill set and the talent it takes. And for people that don't, I want you as an audience, I want you to record yourself for 15 minutes. And I don't care what it is you talk about. And I want you to be engaged in it. I'm not talking about if it's good or not. Let me break it down. I'm not talking about what you're talking about is interesting or good. I want you to listen to it. And I want you to listen to yourself. Are you engaged in what the fuck you're talking about? Because here's the reason why passion and giving a fuck about what you do matters. Because when you have passion and give a fuck about what you do, what anyone else thinks about what you do or what you don't do, more importantly, honestly means less than ever. I've never, honestly, one of the things I'm proudest of because of the way I grew up, I've never given much of a fuck about what other people think about what I'm doing. But especially now, hell no. It's almost like I feel like I'm a sociopath. I don't know if that's the right term, but you get what I'm saying. I think I have a lot of psychiatric problems. Hence, foreshadowing to my... uh Earlier thing about my young adolescent phase to the psychiatrist. But it's kind of funny. All those things that we consider problems in our youth somehow actually benefit us in our adulthood, right? So I just kind of like, I want you to listen to yourself. Listen to anyone that you think you like. For 50 minutes to an hour. And I want you to honestly ask yourself. Does this person like what the fuck they actually are doing? That's all I want to ask you. Make your own judgment. I'm not telling you what to think. I want you to critically think for yourself. Who gives a fuck? Now, does giving a fuck automatically equal respect? No. Because you can give a lot of fucks about something and no one still give a fuck about you. That's just the way of life. And that's okay. If you're going to enter this business where you're entering an opinion, subjective shit, that's okay. You got to accept that. You got to accept that no one may like your shit. You got to accept that maybe, you know, people just don't want to listen to you for a period of time until you prove that you have a way to appeal to them. And that's okay. 
The issue with this industry and a lot of industries and a lot of people is this entitlement industry. And I am someone that I feel that if you feel entitled to the strings attached in this industry, then you are not cut out for it. Because the things that people will stick around and have the most interest in is people that they feel like have nothing to lose and don't give a fuck. Here's what I mean, right? That doesn't mean, and here's a misconception with that statement. There are people who are at the top of the game that still act in the most genuine form of what they feel. The Joe Rogans. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, who's come under criticism recently, is Charlemagne the God, who has, quote-unquote, lost a few TV shows, or a TV show. And... He's always been accused of trying to please the, you know, the upper executives. It seems like he pleases more. He tries to please more of the people who write his checks more than the people who actually listen and watch his shit. Who actually write his checks, right? That's the criticism, right? They feel like he's basically a corporate pundit. More than a personality at this point. And I kind of get it. Like I don't listen to the Breakfast Club. But when Charlemagne would say some wild shit. It would go viral. What is the most recent crazy Charlemagne the God shit? Not much. He may say some weird stuff on his podcast. Like the Berlin 80s podcast and stuff like that. But on the Breakfast Club. He's not out here. In person shitting on rappers or shitting on actors or musicians or whoever the fuck that he used to do. That kind of made his name his name. Because the bigger you get, the more you have to lose, the more money at risk. And when you have a livelihood to keep at stake, you're going to think twice about doing it. So when you are the... I mean, essentially the executive of your show at Comedy Central, or you're the basically the man in charge of the Breakfast Club. It's like, mm, if I say something and lose a lot of money based on public opinion, is it really fucking worth it? And I think that's a calculation he's really taken. I'm not going to shame him for it. Um, I'm not one of these people to shame people for moves they make or how they... Because I, I believe people naturally change based off their circumstances. I think it's weird that we hold people to these standards that you should never change. It's like, no, you should change based off what the fuck you can afford to change or not change. If you have a child and a wife that you have voluntarily made a vow to, to protect and love and honor and all that stuff, all that good stuff. Like, you can't just go out here and potentially lose the bag, as they say. Um, you got to accept the fact that, hey, there are things that come with responsibility and popularity. And Joe Rogan, even to an extent, there are things you can see about a show that are kind of like different. When certain people are on, like his close friends, he'll still get into it and have some fun shit. But for the most part... It does kind of feel like a 70% version of what we were accustomed to 
four years ago. Where he would have extreme, not even extreme, but just very concise, contrite, unhesitant views on certain things. And now it feels very calculated. But, you know, it's more about what you can or not willing to lose. That's kind of like they say, like, the less known you are, the more freedom you have. I guess I'm capitalizing on that a lot. But it's like the less you are known, the more freedom you have because there's no eyeballs on you. And you get to truly develop yourself and what people expect of you when they do start listening and watching you or whatever the fuck consuming you. Consume this dick, baby. Um, God, I want some. Never mind. I'm not going to say that a lot. I can't believe I almost said that on my podcast. Because I'm a child of Jesus. Um, but hey Zeus. Hey there. Cross the border over here. But yeah. Anyways. I think I'm going to move on from that. Because I feel like I'm getting too deep into it. You know for the last. 11 and a half minutes. Because I'm determined to hit the hour mark. Because I'm really feeling like I got a lot to say. So we're going to have some fun here. Alright kids. If you. Turn the handle, you'll be like John Randall. You sack my ball sack, baby girl. All right. And you may be undrafted, but I love me a draft of beer. <laughs> I'm actually not a big beer drinker. Not even Bud Light. Never really understood that whole scandal of the Bud Light thing. You know what's weird? is like the Bud Light thing. And it was like... If you didn't know about the story of the Dylan Mulvaney or the trying to promote Dylan Mulvaney, trans, and all that stuff in the Bud Light, honestly, I don't think most people really would have known about it. I think the promotion of it killed it more than the actual result. Because no one really goes out and just buys Bud Light like that. I mean, people buy Bud Light. I'm not saying people don't buy Bud Light or go to the bar. And get some Bud Light. But. It's like the news media out. Aspect of it. Really enhanced it more than the actual like. Natural process of finding out that Bud Light is. Trying to be more inclusive. In certain things. Bud Light is basically Blue's Clues. No wonder why the can is blue. (laughs) Oh Jesus. Um. You know, they say man, they say dog is a man's best friend, but so is beer. So if you put beer in the dog's bowl, as I've seen in a lot of movies, I guess a beer and a dog are basically the same equivalent to a man's best friend. You got a friend in me. All right. All righty. But yeah. Oh, Jesus. Um, If you were to pull a rifle out, you would shoot your shot. But, baby, did you know? That's an AI bot. Um, (laughs) What's sad is that probably AI is probably a better... Probably spits better game than most men these days. Including me. Because if I were texting a lady... If I were texting a girl that I matched with... Or just a girl that I met on the street... And got her number. 
I would probably, my first message if I was trying to be really Swifty, not Taylor Swifty. <laughs> it's kind of weird. She's like the most, she has the best like live audience tickets where if you've actually heard her play, you're like, oh, yeah, she's all right. Um, <laughs> Her music, her new music doesn't even really consider her playing instruments and shit. But yet, it's like, hey. She's an artist at heart because of her lyrics, which that's one thing I do respect to Taylor Swift is like in this, especially in the pop mainstream thing, like most artists don't even like pretend to write their music. It's like this except thing that artists don't write. Taylor Swift writes her fucking music. And like, I know that sounds like that's a bare minimum, but like. When you get into the main pop stream, the pop like type of phase of the mainstream music type of thing, like that's actually not common at all. Because pop music is actually very hard to write from a pure artist standpoint. But since she had like kind of a country pop pack background and she was able to transition over time, like I honestly don't think Taylor Swift could sing a song that's not something she wrote. Because there has to be a certain cadence and rhythm to it. So, I think it actually makes sense. Like, when you actually think about it. I think the reason why a lot of people like it's like, you know, like, you're getting hurt, for better or worse. And there's a lot of fair criticism about, oh, she basically uses men for content for her album she literally broke up with the dude that kissed the security guard two days ago and i think the security guard was a dude so actually it's probably one of the most warranted breakups she's had um <laughs> but it's like she gets a bad rap for like being with a lot of men it's like hey if your man was publicly seen kissing a security guard at a concert when He's not even a well-known name to have a concert for himself. You're like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go red. Um, <laughs> all right. That's not a love story, baby. Just say yes. Um, but Taylor Swift is like one of those things like regardless of what you think about her, you can't deny that she's actually a pure artist. She actually writes her own music. Like, I don't care what you think. Look that shit up. Look at, like, I'm pretty sure if you look at the top 20 biggest songs in America or the world right now, you would realize that if I had to guess, like, 16 to 20 of those songs were not even written by the artist who sings it. Like, that's how often that shit is normalized. So... You know what? Shout out to Taylor Swift. She deserves all the tickets, all the money she's getting. Um, oh, she's the Nepo baby. It's like, you know what? She's the talented Nepo baby. I hate that fucking Nepo baby. Oh, she came for money. It's like, you know what? Do you play guitar? Do you sing like her? Do you have an aspiration like her? So shut the fuck up. Did you write 15? Cause when you're 15, somebody tells you they love you. 
Gotta believe them. Even though I never did. Ah, oh, Jesus, this got sad. Babe, you're R. Kelly. When you're 15, she will tell you she loves you. And not only will you believe it, but you'll put a ring on it. All right, Clint. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. But yeah. Um, whew. Damn, I don't think I've done an hour-long podcast in a long time. I'm doing it just for the... Just for the sustainable viewers out there. Just for the core audience. Um, so you know what? Here's what I'll do. For the last three and a half-ish minutes, I'm going to talk about how I feel being 200 podcasts in. I feel pretty... I feel pretty... Um, I feel pretty not affluence i don't think of affluence is the right term i feel pretty intrigued i feel pretty like i feel pretty content and content always sounds like a stationary term like oh you're just content with what's happy it's like no i'm content with the fact that like i'm happy of where i'm at it doesn't mean I don't want more growth. It just means like, man, you know what? Sometimes take a step back and be okay with where you're at. Because damn, baby, that booty's fat. All right. Um, And this podcast, it's like a big booty because it's uh, fat on injections. And hopefully you don't die from it. Um, (laughs) Oh, just make sure the board is certified. Um. That's not funny to joke about. But hey, you know what? You voluntarily did it, not me. It's weird how actually people are now blaming men for women going to get surgeries for their body image stuff. It's like, you know what? Here's my view on people that get voluntary surgeries because they feel societal pressure. Societal pressure is this made up thing that is not real. If the person, if you're not really truly want someone who would be intrigued by societal pressure, then you're not going to act off societal pressure. And then you will be truly content with someone who would like you or love you for who you are. But the issue is people get these surgeries, they get these procedures because there's a certain type of individual that they actually desire, that they feel like if they don't get these things... They won't be. And maybe they won't be. So you know what? You were willing to take that risk to be attracted by a certain type of individual. And maybe X, Y, and Z may have happened in result. That's the truth about that shit. No one can make you do anything. No one can make you get anything that you don't really want to get. That's the cold hard truth about this shit. Um... But yeah, no, anyways, going back to what it's like, I feel very, like, in the right direction. I feel like I know what the fuck I'm doing. I feel like this thing is going to grow. By episode 300, I have already said, I think I'm going to have 1,500 plus YouTube subscribers specifically. I truly believe that. And I'm putting that on record because I'm willing to put it out there and be 
potentially a failure or a complete success. Not a lot of people are willing to do that. That's what makes me different from everyone else. Is that I will do an unedited podcast, put my faults on the line, and you guys will look back and be like, damn, much respect. And please, for the love of God, I want a pocket pussy. Um, <laughs> not really. That's a Blue Mountain State reference. Um, even though those are real. Some say pocket pussy is better than the real thing. I would never want to find out. Um, damn, I hit the hour mark. All right. And this is the hourglass moment of the sand dripping and dropping. All right, guys. That was the big 200. Hopefully this is posted by the anniversary, but we'll see. Don't forget to like, follow, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Most important, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to suck some titties. And boy, yeah, this episode was a doozy in all the right ways. I'm very happy about this. It's a good thing to be at this point. And um, yeah. I guess I'll just say that the moral of today's pod is that, um, shit, what did I write down? What is the moral of today's pod? Oh, drinking unlocks your potential. Don't take that literal. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that things that may scare you may also... Maybe the thing that is normalized so much that, how are you, like, I guess here's my final thought, right? Because I talked about earlier how comedy normalizes drinking. And then I told you drinking kind of unlocks your potential. So it's going to kind of be this contradicting opinion, but please bear with me. Is that. How, as a aspiring person in a field, if I see the most successful people in that field constantly participating in an in, in activity that obviously brings something out of them that makes them successful in that, why would I think that I'm the exception? When, if you've ever read, I forgot what the book is, but if you always think you're the exception, you become the rule. And you don't want to become the rule. Because success is always the exception. And you want to be exceptional, my fellas. Damn, that was a bar. Alright, that was episode 200 of the Off and Be Podcast with Clint Nelson. Uh, but yeah, like, follow, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Most important, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to suck some titties. Yeah, this is the first hour-plus podcast I've done in a while. So, you guys earned it and enjoyed it. So, yeah, uh, you'll see this when you see this and uh, enjoy it. All right, guys. Have a good one. Damn. Got some nice titties there, buddy. <laughs>